Health system science is the third pillar of medical education, teaching students how to look beyond basic science to become system-wide thinkers. This flexible thinking can be critical to medical students in their licensing exams and beyond. In the first episode of a new health system science podcast series with Inside the Boards, Dr. Maya Hamoud, AMA Special Advisor on Medical Education Innovation, shares key strategies that can help med students think critically in clinical scenarios. I'm your host, Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer, and this is Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. Today, we're going to look at kind of what we're going to do as far as the series goes. And first up, though, I want to introduce Dr. Hamoud. Uh, Maya Hamoud is the Senior Advisor for Medical Education Innovation at the American Medical Association. She's the J. Robert Wilson Research Professor, Chief of the Division of Women's Health, Associate Chair for Education, and a Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Learning Health Sciences at the University of Michigan Medical School. Uh, besides all the titles we get, what are you most proud of in your life? What, uh, what things stands out to you, either professionally or otherwise? Uh, professionally, I will say I'm most proud of, and I don't want you just to think this because we are working on health system science, but my work in that area, uh, I'm very proud of because I feel that this is work where I'm going to actually impact more than just one patient. We're going to impact healthcare delivery overall. And I think this is an area that's very needed to work in. Uh, so I'm extremely proud of all the work that I've done with the AMA, whether it's working on the textbook or working on this podcast, or working on a national academy where we are actually developing faculty uh, so they learn how to teach health system science. I will say this too. Dr. Hamoud did an interview with Dr. Bachner on the JAMA Network uh, podcast on improving the residency application and selection process. I listened to that a while ago, and I thought that was um, very instructive as far as looking at uh, GME and, and, and the fact that we don't have enough spots, all that good stuff. So worth listening to at this point, especially for students. And then I forgot to mention too, you are a former president of the Association of Professors of Gynecology and Obstetrics, right? Yeah, thank you, Patrick. And actually, it's through that role um, that I became very interested in the national landscape of residency applications. And we've been doing a lot of work in that space. And uh, and I am actually the the um, podcast that I did with Dr. Bachner is highlighted my career because I never thought I'd get to meet him. And that was really cool. Yeah, he's a, he's a good interview. That's, that's a podcast worth listening to. Uh, he also did an interview uh, not too long ago with uh, Dr. Fauci that's fascinating. He's got more chops than this little podcast for med students. But yeah, uh, also one more thing, the APGO, I would say at least eight, nine years ago, had the best shelf exam prep question bank. So, um, Oh, Patrick, definitely. may I take credit for that? Because oh, I, absolutely. Actually, I actually, it's you wise you're referring to, and I think a lot yes. of the students know about it. And it's actually something I created for the students and we still do it. And I chaired that committee until last year. Uh, I still participate in it, uh, but it is definitely um, something that students all get to know as they go through. And it is a product yeah. that we're very proud of at APCO because we do help uh, support the students that way. Absolutely. All right, check it out, you wise. All right, so like we do usually, uh, we're going to start here with a practice USMLE question, and this comes from the NBME's sample items for health system science. 
we have prior to discharge from the hospital, patients admitted for exacerbations of COPD receive smoking cessation counseling. On discharge, the pharmacist educates and provides patients with written material regarding the use of their medications. Staff are required to ask patients if they have their medications before leaving. Patients also receive a phone call within 72 hours of discharge and a follow-up appointment within one week. And here's the interrogative here. Which of the following interventions will have the greatest impact on readmission rates? And so our choices are A, education regarding medication use, B, the follow-up appointment within a week, C, a follow-up phone call within 72 hours, D, providing medications on discharge, or E, smoking cessation counseling. Now, it's probably been a while since you've been pimped, so I mean, I can ask, but I, I believe you are one of the, uh, the authors of these sample items, so... So are you going to tell okay. me the right answer? Because I don't remember this item specifically. <laughs> no, well, let well, me see if I can figure it out. Actually, that's actually perfect, though, too, because uh, I think students often you know, think everybody knows the right answer. And sometimes just questions, even for those who write them, you, know, you really do have to stop and think because it's a, a true art uh, as, as well as a science to constructing these items. But sure, go, go ahead. I, I yeah. mean, you're welcome <laughs> to. We can, we can cut it out if it doesn't go well. Yeah, no, let me, right. thank you. I appreciate that opportunity to cut it out. Now we can since you said it. But um, so um, the way that I work through a question for this one here, I'm probably just going to go through each choice and see if that makes sense or not. So education regarding medication use, when I look at the uh, vignette, it looks like I am going to, it is something that we, we often do. So I'm going to go through all of them because it looks to me like all the answers are correct. Like follow up appointment within one week, which is what we're planning to do. Follow up phone call within 72 hours, providing medications on discharge, smoking cessation counseling. So those are all things that we are doing for the patient and they're all correct. Now the question is asking the greatest impact on readmission rates. And this is where the, the couple things, one is the student needs to be familiar really what does impact the admission rates and how much impact do each of those interventions have while they're all important. And I'm going to venture here and say uh, D is probably the correct answer or it is should be the correct answer because providing the patient's medications on discharge is very important because all the other stuff is education and following up, but providing the medication is actually a tangible thing that we're doing for the patient. It's easy to give a patient a prescription and say, go fill it, but not understand all the barriers that the patient might have, whether they can't pay for the medication, whether they don't have someone to go get it for them, uh, whatever it is, that's probably going to have the most effect on uh, the readmission rate because we're actually giving the patient the treatment before they leave beyond the education that we're doing. D is correct. Oh my God. Thank God it's correct. (laughs) But I would say this, you know, um, people often worry like what percentage of this or that is, is what I have to remember as far as, you know, the most likely in a differential diagnosis of say abdominal pain or, or whatever it may be. But the NBME does not straight up ask uh, percentage questions like the incidence or prevalence of this or that is what, because that's just strict, um, a memorization, which is not really what 
believe it or not, the uh, test is trying to do. But which of the following interventions will have the greatest impact on readmission rates? Thinking clinically, uh, like you pointed out, of all the choices as far as educating the patients and arranging follow-ups, providing medications, physically handing them to them is independent of the, the patient's um, circumstances and, and means. So that, that makes sense. But seems obvious. And I think that, you know, that's a good transition. A lot of the third pillar of medical education, health system science, I think a lot of students feel that it is, quote, fluff, you know, the ethics, the, you know, systems-based thinking. And, and just to mention, our, our plan with this series is to answer the question today in general, what is health system science? And then we'll do an episode on healthcare delivery, economics, and policy. Another one on clinical informatics and technology in healthcare. One on population, public and social determinants of health, safety and teamwork, and finally, leadership and systems. So that's kind of the plan, but um, people listening to that, probably the first question they have is, Number one, what is health system science? And number two, why should I care? Is this like a test I'm going to have to worry about? Patrick, thank you for asking this. And and if you don't mind, I'm going to indulge you with a small story. Uh, Five years ago, I did not know what health system science was. And uh, my father got sick and he was in the hospital many, many times. And there was a lot of things in the system that me as a physician in the hospital that I work at, I was watching and I'm like, I can't believe this is how we provide care. And I had a conversation with with my brother who runs a company. He's like, we would never run any business like this. How do you run healthcare like this? And then I had my own uh, health issue uh, that I also had to deal with. And I will say that I was treated as a VIP because I was in my own hospital. And I also remember all the anxiety and everything that I went through. And then uh, emerging out of those two experiences, I was thinking, why doesn't every patient get the care that I received? It was VIP, but also I still, it was full of anxiety and not understanding and not understanding the instructions and a lot of, and I'm an educated physician. Yes, I've had the same experience. I had an ortho kind of issue that I got from overtraining. And I remember going to some of these appointments and leaving being like, wait, what was I supposed to do? What are my next steps? And I'm like, man, that's embarrassing. I'm a bad patient, but I mean, I'm imagine, telling you, you know? that. I never forget the surgeon yelling at me for not understanding the instructions on how many CCs I need to be monitoring. (laughs) And I just didn't understand. So, and I'm just thinking about all of these other patients and everybody, what they do. And I actually, uh, my dad passed and I vowed that I'm going to do something to make a difference. And as you know, I've always worked in medical student education. I've always feel like I've, I've been making a difference in what I do. And we just talked about the UIs, uh, but this felt like it was taking it to a whole new level. And I also realized that there are a lot of things about the system that I don't understand as a physician that I never learned. And that's when I decided to go back and get my MBA. I was like, I'm going to understand the business of medicine and what efficiency is, and all those things that people talk about. And I got my MBA, and that's when I started working with the AMA in health system science. And when you ask me what I'm most proud of, I am most proud of this because I feel that being able, and you know, I've been working with the AMA to be this driving force behind making sure that our students get exposed to these important domains. People think it's fluff. I actually, I find nothing more offensive than when people think it's the orphan items or the fluff. This is the core of what we do. 
I mean, health system science, if you really look at what health system science is, it is really to have the fundamental understanding of how healthcare is delivered, how healthcare professionals work together to deliver that care, and how the health system can improve patient care and healthcare delivery. So it is the building blocks for physicians and other healthcare professionals to improve all aspects of patient care and healthcare delivery. So it's not just about me knowing the science behind a disease or understanding the principles. It's really at the end of the day is how do I deliver that care? How do I patient-centered care to the patient in front of me, but also to the population at large? Yeah, and I, and I think that this truly differentiates medicine from other pure sciences. And people always refer to medicine as an art. They have since the Hippocratic tradition. And you know what differentiates an art from a science in, in terms of Aristotle's uh, definition? And it's, it's the application of, of some knowledge. And truly, medicine is not just applied biology. It, is, uh, it uses science. It's an art that uses science. And I think that learning the principles that can help you apply that uh, is exactly what learning health system science will do for healthcare, for students. And I mean, there are aspects of this. Uh, people probably also know that I, I love bioethics. That's where I came from. And to me, not fluff either. It's in fact, the most fundamental thing about what we do, believe it or not. But there's no standalone test for it until now, right? Yeah. So uh, one of the things as the AMA has been working with a lot of medical schools, uh, and I don't know how much the students are familiar with the AMA Consortium of Medical Schools, uh, which are 37 medical schools around the country that are doing innovations in uh, many areas, but health system science is definitely one of them. Um, as we're putting those into the curriculum, and uh, it's become very clear that health system science is the third pillar of medical education. One of the things that, that we started to get requests off from the medical schools is how do I know about what my students are learning? How do I assess where they are in health system science? Because as when they finish medical school and go into residency, and the students are probably familiar with the term system-based practice, really system-based practice is a lot of health system science. And they need to understand how do I deliver care to patients, not just the knowledge and the content of the science. Um, And one of the things that we did is we initiated that exam, the MA initiated the exam with the MBME um, on health system science. So there's a specific subject exam on health system science that many medical schools are using right now. Uh, Just like when a student is done with the OB rotation, they have a um, OB-GYN child exam. Uh, there's a health system science exam. But more importantly, Patrick, is, and I think that the students probably starting to see this, is there's a, a big amount of content of health system science on the USMLE as well. And I know students care a lot about that. Yes. Uh, so, and that content has been increasing over time. So Elsevier published a book that you're one of the editors for, The Health System Science is the title. It's a, a review textbook. And from that intro, I'm just going to read a portion. I just find this so fascinating and true that technology is changing our world and the practice of medicine at a pace unmatched in human history. Yes, I think we all observe that. Yet, for all the societal advancements and technological marvels over the last century, the way we train and educate new doctors has changed little. So, the result is is essentially an ever-widening gap between how physicians in the United States are trained and educated and the realities of the modern healthcare environment. 
Man, that is so true. I mean, just the the minutes, even in in you know graduate medical education, there. Are, I, I think one of the best examples would be the economics and business side of healthcare that uh, physicians just have no real familiarity with. Like I, I always use the example, if I work at Taco Bell, I know that, for instance, my paycheck comes from, you know, how many tacos we sell. As a physician, I have no idea where my pay comes from. Like if I do, you know, this many deliveries or, or this surgery, it's, it's uh, see, however many patients, you know, that doesn't necessarily equate to more compensation how difficult it, it's crazy to me it's it's very confusing but patrick that's exactly the reason why we need to educate students in health system science because traditionally it has been everyone else who's not a physician or familiar with uh, the practice of medicine necessarily directly who's deciding what, how we do things and it's been the accountants it's been the executives it has not been us and, and most physicians say, well, I just want to take care of the patient. I, I don't care about this other stuff. Well, you should care. Uh, there's no time ever more in history with what's happening with COVID right now that it's become to, to the, to even more than ever, it's surfaced how important it is for us as physicians to understand all the healthcare delivery aspects. And I can tell you that hospital systems, when COVID hit, you can see different hospitals were able to handle it differently. Do you know what the main reason is? It's physicians and people who are part of the health system who understands health system science. Because if I understand health system science, I know I understand supply chain. I understand that I might run out of my PPE. I understand population health. I understand what's going to happen with public health. And I'm able to respond better and plan better. And I actually think that we're going to see a huge uptake even more than it already has in health system science because hospital systems and physicians are realizing, you know what, I need to understand this because that's how I'm going to be able, it's going to make a difference to the patients. Absolutely. One example recently for me, so my clinic where I'm the medical director, our county in particular in Ohio is is one of the two highest incidents of COVID right now. And so looking at that, of course, you know, that adds some urgency to implement more preventative measures because we didn't have a very robust uh, system to do that besides, you know, try to stay six feet apart and wear a mask for the patients. And there's like 80 patients who come in every day to dose methadone. And I was looking at this and I'm like, oh man, I have got to do something to decrease foot traffic. And one of the things is a check-in program where patients will get a text message or be able to text a number and say, hey, I'm here, then wait in their car. And when they're in the next in the queue, they get notified and then come in. So it decreases the amount of people congregating in the, the waiting room. And I, I probably would not have thought of that had I not uh, done a lot with technology and, and all the stuff that's come about from, frankly, podcasting. But to me, that, that's really important. That's an aspect of medicine that is somewhat intangible, but necessary. So, Patrick, that's what I call systems thinking. <laughs> is uh, You thought about the whole system. You thought I have a lot of patients here and you thought about how do I apply what I already know uh, into trying to solve the problem. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash 
Moving Medicine. Well, let's talk about that. What is systems-based thinking? Well, you know, systems thinking, um, as you uh, probably saw in, when you're reviewing some of the materials for health system science, is we do consider it to be a very important linking domain of all the health system science domains. Uh, and the reason that we consider it to be very important is because it's the way that it connects everything together. Um, and really, it's it's kind of a little difficult to define systems thinking, but if you want to think about it, it's mostly about it's a philosophy or a mindset or a way that you, uh, a set of tools that you have in your head that it, it facilitates your thought process so you can see how the parts of the systems are related and how one affects the another. And the benefits of systems thinking is really higher leverage thinking and action. You just said yourself, if I didn't do the podcast, I wouldn't have thought about doing that. So you're actually going into higher level of thinking because you're connecting the dots. And uh, systems thinking principles uh, have always been promoted as critical for innovation, problem solving, and collaboration in multiple fields, and including in the health professions. And as we think about healthcare, I think we all agree it's very complex, and um, touch, touching one area of it can affect a lot of um, other areas. So we have to have that raised awareness that patient and health system issues are complex and we need to adapt, we need to teach differently, and we need to help our learners really be systems thinkers in the future. And that was what, um, you know, the question that you asked me at the beginning yes. is, is a great example of that because the opposite of systems thinking is a linear thinker. So as a linear thinker, I can just say, I'll just give the patient a prescription, I'm done, right? And I don't think about anything else. But a system thinker will think, okay, is this patient going to be able to go get the medication? Do they have the, the transportation to go? Do they have the money to pay for it? Are they going to the member to go get it? And you're thinking of all these components and how does that affect their healthcare? And that was a great question, actually, to even if you did not learn that there are studies that show doing this does actually decrease readmission rate, if you're a system thinker, you'll figure that out. <laughs> And, you know, I think that it goes to the, the ethics of our profession, too, because one might think, oh, I discharged my duty. This person has COPD, so check. I had them get smoking cessation counseling, um, and I gave them the prescription. Now it's up to them. And that, and that is true. A patient also has responsibilities, uh, you know, for their own health. But really, we're not trying to get people a medication or treat them for this or that disease necessarily. What we're trying to do is restore health. Like they come to us in a state of, you know, being unwell and we say, oh, we're physicians. We've got all these standards of um, professional ethics. We're a, you know, a moral community and providing just a, a script on discharge might not necessarily be in my opinion, consonant with what makes, uh, you know, what you could say is a virtuous physician in the words of uh, my mentor, Dr. Ed Pellegrino. Absolutely, Patrick. This is why it's very important to keep the patient at the center of all what we do and to be thinking of all the different components that can affect their healthcare uh, outcomes, not just, did I treat this and I gave them the correct medication? Yep, absolutely. So you actually composed uh, the chapter. You're one of the authors in this uh, health system science book from Elsevier, that chapter regarding systems thinking. What in composing it was your 
chief concern to communicate to students? What did you want them to, to really take away? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because when we wanted to, this chapter was not in the first edition as a separate chapter. And we decided that it's so important that it deserves its own separate chapter. And as we were discussing uh, about how do we approach it, uh, one of the things is that oftentimes people say to me, so what did you learn from your MBA? And I might always, my answer is always, I learned systems thinking. And it's not, they didn't have a systems thinking class, but they taught me the finance, they taught me the accounting, they taught me the operation operations and, and learning all these things together is helping me more think about, and, and I, I'll be very honest before I did, and, and that's going to sound like, why did I not learn this before? But the patient in front of me, I used to like say, oh, just come back in two weeks. And I never really ever thought to ask them where they live. Or can they come back? And and I really like, I'm, I'm kind of feel terrible that I practiced for 15 years of my life without thinking about all this, right? And now when I say to the patient, come back in two weeks, before I even say that, I say, are you able to come back in two weeks? And and I try to think about what are some of the barriers that, that would actually bring them to me. And I think that was a lot of the effect of learning all of this. So we, when and, and when I thought about how can we actually teach systems thinking to medical students without them having to get an MBA, and uh, one of the things, Dr. Jed Gonzalo, who's the primary author on this chapter, he's been teaching systems thinking at um, his school for a few years, and he used uh, the water foundation principles of systems thinking, which is actually was made for elementary school kids. And uh, like, it's, it's really for K to 12 education, but there are habits of systems thinking that the Waters Foundation developed and there are tools that you could use. And we decided to write the chapter using those tools and actually thinking about how do those tools apply to everything that you do. For example, one of the habits is seek to understand the big picture. And this is exactly what I just gave that example is the person in front of me, I say, come back in two weeks, but did I actually think of the bigger picture? Are they able, going to be able to come back? What are the barriers? Uh, so there are 12 habits of systems thinking, and we wrote the chapter around those habits and talk about each habit and why is it important for us to actually think of this habit and to apply it in our everyday practice. And, and some of those things, uh, 12, like you said, the seeking to understand the big picture, um, recognizing that the structure of a system generates its behavior, looking at things or changing your perspective can increase understanding. There, there are many things that go into this, but what I want to ask uh, probably one more question here to, to cover is, is it uh, true or could you say simply that Focusing on health system science through, you know, initiatives like this, this textbook that Elsevier published through your work um, with the AMA, the NBME's test on this subject, that they're trying to make the, quote, hidden curriculum more obvious or apparent because in this hidden curriculum is that sort of like underlying culture of the learning environment that gets ingrained in us and affects the way we practice. Uh, Patrick, thank you for actually asking this because the way I try to deal with my guilt of for 15 years not asking the patient is I say, you know what, that was probably the hidden curriculum because how do we learn? We learn by observing um, if you think about it in medicine, we are observing our, the people that we're working with, the other physicians, the faculty, uh, we're observing what people do. And I am sure if the people I worked with would ask that patient, 
Are you able to come back in two weeks? Do you have transportation? I am sure I would have been asking the same question. And this is what I talk about. The hidden, the hidden curriculum is how do we act? How do we behave every day affects the learning of not just the medical student, everybody around us, right? So it's by actually doing these behaviors all the time, because it's not just for good for patient care, which it is absolutely, but also we're, we're generating a next cohort of physicians who will be asking those questions, who this becomes a habit of what they do. It's kind of the culture of, yeah, it is more than just that medication, giving that medication to the patient. It's, I really want to understand who they are and what, how am I going to affect their health outcomes the most? And that is the hidden curriculum. And we're trying to take that hidden curriculum and make it, make it an actual curriculum. Uh, so we're all following the same principles and we're all really able to affect patient care. And you know what? The more I think about this too, I think I would contend that if the upcoming generation of physicians, those uh, listening to this podcast, will take this to heart, it has the potential to address even the burnout epidemic uh, amongst you know students and um, our colleagues, because if you put the patient first at the center, um, then you're doing what the art of medicine has proposed to do for thousands of years. And the driving force then of everything that happens in the healthcare encounter, if you will, is based on what's good, what's right. And, you know, if it means that we have to change the way we practice and an OB doesn't see 50 patients in one day, which is insane. Um, like I, I don't want to practice that way. I don't want to practice in a way in which, you know, I say, Hey, come back in two weeks. Then the patient leaves the room. I don't know if they even went to the desk, if they even know, you know, how to make another appointment in two weeks. And, and you just don't have 30 seconds if you're seeing 40, 50 patients in a day. And then it's just constant. It's draining. So I would say, you know, it's incumbent on us all to really focus on this, to learn something about it, not just because it'll be included in the test that we take for licensure, but also because it'll make patients' lives better and it will make our lives better and prevent us from losing some of the idealism that brings us all to this profession. I will add to that everything that you said, and I will add also I'm an optimistic person, and I do feel that this is a generation of uh, this current uh, group of students are the generation that are going to take us to that next level. And I think you're going to be having a learner, whether a student or resident, in each of the podcasts that is coming. And that's a great example of how it is the learner with the student or the resident who is driving how we apply health system science in areas that we needed. Uh, so they're a lot brighter than we ever been. And they are systems thinkers and they are, they would like to deliver the best patient care. And I'm really hoping that the future is bright with them and that when I need them for my healthcare, they're going to be thinking about all uh, the aspects of my healthcare delivery, not just the medication that they need to prescribe for me. Absolutely. And, and, and too, to me, this is a, a, an area where medical students can drive the future of healthcare instead of just giving in and accepting the fact that some hospitals don't let them write notes even, which is 90% of our jobs and, and more and more seems to be taken away from the educational experience, especially the hands-on stuff. 
let's start addressing these things and and change the culture uh, from within because that's the only way it's going to happen. And that's on med students. So that's where it all starts. Yeah, and it also, and Patrick, I want to thank you for doing this. Uh, as you know, and I'm sure you believe in it, and that's why you're doing this. I do think health system science is very important. And I, like you said, it's not just to pass the test or do well on the test. It's really going to affect how we deliver care to patients. And, and I really hope everyone takes it to heart uh, because it will make a difference. Dr. Hamoud, thanks for uh, taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Patrick. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. All right, that's it for today, and that concludes the first episode in our Health System Science series. Again, thank you to our collaborators and supporters for this series, the American Medical Association, Elsevier, and Panacea Financial. Learn more about our HSS series over on our website at insidetheboards.com slash HSS. As always, thank you so much for listening to this uh, project that we're creating to help med students reclaim some of their time so they can devote it to life stuff and not just be all study all the time. And if I could just ask one favor, if you think we did a good job, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us in the search rankings so more people can learn about health system science and the work we're doing at Inside the Boards. Finally, we've got other podcasts to help you study on the go for the USMLE, your shelf exams, Comlex. Just search your favorite podcatcher for Inside the Boards. And besides this channel, you will find the Study Smarter podcast, Crush Step 1, and USMLE Step 2 Secrets, audio versions of the books by ITB's Chief Content Officer, Dr. Ted O'Connell, plus Physiology by Physio, and Physio's USMLE Step 1 Success Stories. Inside the Boards, producers are Madison Linden and Christopher Breitigan. Our music for today is by the young artist Lil Tyke, a.k.a. Augustin Beeman. You can find his work on SoundCloud or YouTube. Very talented kid, can't say enough good about his work, so you should definitely check him out. That track is, in fact, an exclusive release for the Inside the Boards podcast called King Jeff and His Apprentice Bart. And that's all I have for today. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you.